0: i mean it's what is it it's mid it's mid august right now august 16th what is your what's your number one like early season thing early season uh what i want to say like uh checklist early season thing that you're working on like is it is it mainly trail cameras are you doing like a lot of bean scouting or glassing or are you just driving the roads you what do you what are you doing in the early season right now like pre yeah so um so
1: I, I guess for me, it's a combination of, um, glassing. Uh, I, I typically, right. I do, I do a lot of drive-bys, but I also do a lot of field edge sitting where, you know, I'll talk into buckthorn. Buckthorn is one of the cheapest, uh, and fastest growing, although it's invasive. Um, it's one of the, for, for farmers, at least, you know, years ago, it was the cheapest, uh, and quickest way to grow a curtain, um, you know, to block their fields along the roads and, and in between fields and, and along fence lines and whatnot. So, I, in fact, it almost made like a natural fence line. So I'll tuck yeah. right in underneath those and uh, and watch deer and velvet. Yep. And that, and then, uh, and then I'm also using trail cameras. But I, I don't know how deep you want to get in, into that right now. Are you recording right now or? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, <laughs> We're if you want it. me to get in depth with that, man, I mean, I I, I can get buried into the weeds on these topics uh, in a hurry. So uh, you're going to have to stop me if I, if I just <laughs> keep going and you want to move on to another topic, but. All right, I'm, um, yeah, I'm good at yeah. that. What, one of the um, biggest things for me, obviously, running Chase Nation, we're, we're a film series. So, you know, it's vital for us to get a lot of, um, a lot of um, stuff caught on film basically. And it's yeah. not just up in a tree stand shooting a deer and then walking up to it after you kill one. It's everything to build a film. You know, not to be such like a vlog you know show or you know where you're you're nesting several hunts into one episode, we're trying to tell a story with every single episode that we create or film. I like to call it a film because that's kind of the approach that we've taken, yeah and to do so, you know it starts in the beginning. Um, all this prep work, um, getting permission on properties, uh, that kind of stuff is is all what contributes to a greater story told. And that being said, uh, early season is one of my prime times to film. I mean, there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no urgency. I can kind of come and go yeah. at my leisure throughout the off season. Um, and you know, the pressure's kind of off. So, you know, if the film doesn't turn out great one night, I can go another evening uh, and capture more. Right. But, um, i'm i'm a little different than some i mean there's there's a handful of people in every category of hunter and uh me being from the midwest and upper midwest and a wisconsin resident i'm put up uh, and, and i'm sure you just some of your listeners can attest to this but at least here in wisconsin it's a lot of smaller parcels that are broken up from farms that have sold through the years and then been subdivided uh and you know 120 acre Farm might be, you know, 340s. And then somebody might have taken one of their 40s and broke that into, you know, something even smaller, you know, broken into half or thirds. So, um, it kind of works in a good way and a bad way. Uh, but I spend a lot of time in my, you know, late, late winter, early spring searching out new pieces. And, um, Yeah, I tend to avoid most of the stuff I can see from the road, because if you can see it, everybody else can too. So I do a lot of my scouting, uh, from outer space, you know, using Google Earth or on X, um, you know, or any kind of mapping tool where you've got a satellite view, an aerial view. And I'm looking for those backfields, you know, food sources. We're, we're in farm country in Southeast Wisconsin, where I'm from. So, you know, it's, it's a little different than some of the folks in the Western. Well, there's plenty of farm, over in the the country area of the western part of the state, but in the northern part of the state, you know, it gets uh, really um, uh, deciduous, I guess. It's a lot of pine and birch, and it's a little different um, um, type of uh, landscape and habitat. Down by where we're at, I like to look for those back fields. that kind of look like they're hidden from the roads. Um, and, And I also am kind of looking at how woods are pieced together you know, I'm looking for like, I don't know if you'd call it a funnel, but it's more like just a, a, a corridor or route. Say you've got, sure. you know, a nat- like a parkway or something. You can't hunt that parkway, but it spills into some private pieces and they might be three acres to 10 acre lots. And then maybe it bottlenecks and it crosses a road and then it opens up again along a ridge system and there might be a field up top and maybe a neighborhood in there somewhere. And I'm just looking at how those deer might be utilizing it and how they're traveling. And if it looks fancy enough where I'm like, yeah, I can get in there because I know deer are going to be back and forth through there. They might not be, you know, residents in that particular piece that I'm looking to access for hunting, but I know that they're going to pass through there. And it's not very attractive to a lot of the folks that, you know, um, are looking for big woodlots, you know, and field edges and whatnot to hunt, more obvious stuff. That's sure. the kind of stuff I look for, and I start just going crazy on the internet almost like a stalker, <laughs> I guess you'd say. Um, you know I'm using on x a lot and i'm I'm getting names and uh addresses, and half the time the addresses over the names listed aren't you know uh, somebody's name. it might be like an l l c or something sure it forces you to go you know do a little internet research and Shoot, you know, I was just, I was just given a seminar on this topic, um, early season whitetail strategies at Deerfest. And I had the crowd laughing for a minute because I was, uh, I was talking about how um, I've gone to the extent of calling people up at, you know, a, a, like for one example, most recently was a dentist office and he was a dentist. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to the receptionist and she's like, and what's this call in regards to? And I'm like, it's, uh, you know, so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so is 15 acres. Uh, of land I had a question about it and then you know later that day he'll call kind of concerned and say you know uh, I got a a call my receptionist said that you're interested in buying my land or something might be wrong or I said no nothing's wrong and I don't know about buying it but then I'll get into you know you know this is what I'm calling for now some people don't like that because you're kind of invading a little bit of their like I don't know. You're just getting a little, they, they ask you questions yeah. like, how how did you track me down here? Or how did you get my phone number? <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, when you go knocking on doors these days, uh, people barely, you know, crack the door and they're peering through, like, or looking at you through a window and making a judgment call if they're going to answer the door or not. It's a right. lot different nowadays than it used to be. And, yeah. you know, while I, I do miss those days of knocking and having that interpersonal connection, um, I'll tell you what's easy. Getting told no over the phone is simple. You just say, Okay, thanks for your time and you hang up and you are on to the next phone call. Right. And um once I get a few pieces and I'm talking like I've got one that's uh five and a half acres, I got a seven acre piece, uh, I've got a fifteen acre and then a twenty. Those are gonna be my primary local pieces that I'm gonna be hunting this year. And you know, typically um they only last for a short while before somebody catches wind that you know wow so it's it's worthwhile to hunt there and then hey do you mind if i hunt there sure let me kick the sam guy out of there and you can go give it a try you know (laughs) because most of the time when you get permission on a small piece like that it's it's somebody that owns a house there and you know likes to have their privacy but doesn't really all the time use it recreationally and if they do hunt there they're probably not going to give you permission so when you do get permission it's typically not another hunter so they don't really care And they don't really think about how much it might mean to you unless you've gone off the deep end and spilled your guts to them. So the point I'm making is, you know, I I don't get married to any of these spots, but there are some that I like more than others and some that I've held on to for longer than others. But Mm I always make sure that I'm putting my finger to the wind early season and trying to lock in properties. And once I've got them, absolutely, I've got to run cameras uh, and I've got to do some glassing. You know, you hear like a small acreage like that, and it's like, well, how much glassing can you possibly do on, say, you know, ten or fifteen acres? Well, some some pieces it doesn't make sense, but I've got a twenty that's ten acres of hayfield and ten acres of timber, and that's a primary spot where I've had that land to hunt now for going on fifteen years uh, this season. And if you look back at any of my films in the last four or five seasons, uh, typically I'll start them out with some velvet footage um, on the, on the edge of that very property. Um, there's a buckthorn row up against this little road, this you know, single lane road. I'll tuck myself deep into it. I'll get a few, you know, um, prickers in my skin and it sucks. Uh, but I've kind of made myself a couple nests now, or, you know, <laughs> most of the limb cutting has been done. And, and what's great about sitting in there is you've got great shade. So, you know, yes. even though you might, like you're standing out like a sore thumb the deer are looking in that direction if you're staying still uh you know and I've got my spotting scope on a tripod I've got my camera on a tripod and then I've got a pair of binoculars next to me that's typically how I roll and um you know I was just looking at I had these deer out when I was out with my my wife and my four and five year old We're sitting on this field edge, just very what I'm talking about and kids are in having all these all these awesome velvet bucks we had like 12 out in the field maybe 40 to 60 yards away from us and they just thought it was the neatest thing and a couple deer came out on the field edge where I've got my cell cam and it takes a picture and I request a high-def photo of it and it comes and I I show my wife and I'm like look you you can hardly see any of us over here except for my son who's standing up because he's four you see his little white face you know but other than that like you can't see yourself or i or or my daughter adelaide we just disappear and if camden my son wasn't standing up he'd have disappeared too
0: yeah right into that shade it just
1: yeah i mean it's 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 i mean it's that's a main thing for me it's not only to get the footage because that footage is beautiful but it's also you know i pay a lot of attention to those details like it's early season right and you're looking forward to opening weekend so much and as a editor, producer and cameraman and, and hunter, I'm thinking, boy, I've got a show to run. I love to get it done early season because so when I get it done, I get the pressure off, and I can spend the rest of the season filming and editing uh, and I kind of live vicariously through the rest of the team that way too, which I'm okay yep. with uh, <laughs> so so I guess my point is if you want to kill one early season, you need to pay attention to those little details. and when it comes to velvet scouting, I'm watching where they're coming out and what the what the wind is at that time you know if Mm -hmm. if it's consistent that they're coming out in the same couple spots and the wind you know if you look at your notes and it shows that you know you sat maybe five times at the edge of that field three out of the five times they came out in that same spot and then you see it was like an east wind all three of those times well then you gotta kind of figuring out a little bit of a pattern you know right um then when it comes to, uh, when it comes to trail cameras, you know, one of the best tactics that I've found, and this is not so applicable on a smaller piece, but if you're hunting public land where you got a lot more ground to cover or you've got a bigger piece of private, uh, this is primarily a great public land, uh, recommendation to anybody that, that uses trail cameras for Intel. But if you're if you're running a few cameras out in the woods and you get a picture of a big one, and now the game begins, how do you find him? Where is he betting? You know, yeah, of course you're going to pay yeah. attention to the date and the, and the times, but if you only got one photo of him, the first thing you should do, and I'm not recommending people go out and spend a ton of money, you know, um, some people have it, some people don't, but if you have more than one trail camera, if you have at least like three or four more start to build a perimeter and make it expansive you know set them a a couple hundred yards out and once you get another photo of the deer then you can kind of narrow down a little bit it's like okay i'm going to shift my cameras around now and continue i'm going to build this perimeter around these two pictures that i got and then suddenly you kind of dial in a little bit of a pattern of what time he's walking from point a to point b where your couple of photos were taken and then you can kind of look at, you know, from outer space and kind of get an idea of ballpark idea of where he might be bedding and where he's heading to eat. So those are two like huge strategies for me.
0: How long do you wait before checking those trail cameras? Like, are you doing like every weekend or every couple weekends? Any idea? Um,
1: yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I, I, I run uh, about, what have I got? Seven cell cameras. Or six now. One of them, one of them, uh, getting fixed up. So I've got six out right now, and I'm I'm running those on solar panels. So what? And then I've got, I don't know, seven or eight static cams. I probably have eight of them. Um, and I when I say static cam, I mean like cameras that I'm, I'm putting out there with batteries, and then I they're not cell cameras, so I gotta go and pull cards and or whatever, yeah. you know. Um. I, I'm not the type to go and swap cards. I'm the type to go pull a camera and move it. Um, uh, if, if I want to keep a camera in a certain location for a long amount of time, I really depend highly on, on those cell cameras with the solar panels. Okay. Because I, I'm not, I'm not forced to go out there and swap out my batteries. You think about it. Lithium batteries are what most folks should be using in their cell cams, right? They, right. they live up longer. And and weather conditions, but what they do is uh, they say a hundred percent up until the day that they die, and then all of a sudden they're dead. So you know <laughs> if, you, if you go well, out, if you are the type to go swap a card out of a static camera, and you are you're like doing a battery check. It says a hundred percent, okay, and then you put a new card, in, and then you go home and you wait three weeks to a month. You go back out to swap that card again or whatever, uh-huh, and you got like ten pictures, and it should be you know a thousand. Yeah, it and you look and your battery's dead uh it's because the lithiums do, and it drives me nuts because uh, 'cause yeah. they're tricky, and not only that, but they cost fifteen bucks for eight of them and most cameras oh, yeah. are taking eight to twelve double a 's mhm so I spent the money and got those uh those solar panels, and now I don't even keep batteries in my camera; they're totally void of batteries, they're just running off solar um and uh and you can run those for more than just a cell camera you can you can run those for you know any kind of camera i i go through exodus if if anybody's wondering who to go through and they they sell them for a good price and they're awesome that's um,
0: what i go through too i heard they're not making the trucks anymore
1: uh i Did wouldn't hear be that? surprised i mean
0: the lift twos and and those renders
1: are you know those are fire i oh I they are they're just the trucks
0: yeah, I have, so I have seven tracks, uh, one lift two and one render and I've, I've really enjoyed the tracks just because they're 130 bucks. Right. And you can throw those on a piece of public and if they get stolen, they're, you know, they're giving you a new one, um, or a 50% off a new one. And, uh, yeah, and I've, I
1: can't that.
0: yeah no, you, you can't. And if, uh, and I've been, yeah, I've been running those for like three years now and I've really, really enjoyed them. Um, they've been, they've been really good, but they do exactly what you say they do with the lithiums. It's like, even the other weekend I was putting a new one out and I turned it on as like a hundred percent. And then I went to like, you know, you set it up and then you do your old deer dance in front of it to make sure it takes a picture of you and all that. And then it wasn't taking a picture. I popped it open and it was deader than dead. It's like, all right, well, good thing. I've, I got my extra batteries with me. Well, I'll tell you what, man, the The most
1: important thing for me as far as I'm not a trail cam hunter. And, um, and I don't mean that as in like, uh, I don't use cameras to, you know, help myself get an edge on deer. What I'm saying is I'm not, I, I'm not hunting for pictures. I'm hunting for deer and there's a big difference. Yeah. Everybody, I, including me gets excited to check a camera, um, and see what's on it. I get a kick out of my cell cameras, ping it on my phone. I, I love that but that's not the point. You know, the the point for me is to find out who's around and then I'm paying attention to those little details, dates and times. And then I'm looking at weather conditions and I'm thinking, okay, like I, I shot that drop time, uh, last, last year on opening day, I had dialed him in. I found, I mean, I had known about that deer for several years. I shot him the year before high in the leg, low in the shoulder. And, um, the following year, my wife and I were out in mid, mid, mid or late June, and he was already sporting the drop time. And um, figured him, I uh, figured him out to come out on at this one particular, uh, I guess, path or you know deer trail coming out into the into the hayfield, uh, whenever I'd have a west wind, and he, and that would always be wind in his face, uh, coming out to to feed. And he was on a pattern uh, every four days. And I'm like, I wonder why this deer only does it every four days. And it was consistent. And I looked at the weather and I was blown away that for like the last five weeks, it was every four days was a wet, was a, you know, perfect westerly wind. If it was a little (laughs) out of the North, a little out of the South, uh, he didn't show up. He never showed up if it was out of the East. Uh, And so it was just, funny because it fell to be a, a west wind perfect west wind on opening day and he came out and, and i killed him um you know i mean that was one of those classic case scenarios where you know deer come to the food source with the food with the wind in their face and return to bed with the wind at their back if you looked at those pictures i had you know in the timber that was a right on the edge of a field not pointing out into the field but pointing into the timber from the field edge um that was getting them coming out to the field every every evening you know, at dinner time, yeah. But I had another camera by a fence row, buried in the timber, and I kind of got him mapped out where he was returning from in the morning time, so I knew he was bedding, and it and it was, you know, uh, it, he would j-hook and he'd come back to bed with that wind at his back. So if it was a west wind, he was coming out to feed, um, you know, with the with the wind in his face, and if it was, uh, and then if it stayed westerly. You know, he would J-hook and make sure that wind was at his back when he came back to that. To I, I just thought that was the neatest thing. Such a smart yeah. deer, you know, until I killed him. Um, <laughs> did he, you... he should have been smarter that day.
0: <laughs> so then, okay, so then, yeah, how did you – so how did you <laughs> kill him if his the wind was in his face on his way out to that field? Did you just, like, offset your wind or what? Well, that's
1: a good question because, you know, one of my best – early season strategies aside from the scouting we put in is hunting inside of the woods and not in the field edges I like to see deer don't get me wrong but I don't see a whole lot of mature bucks like truly mature you know five-year-old four four and a half or better feeding out into a hayfield during season even even opening day uh, you know, after they split up from their bachelor groups, or they're starting to, uh, in in good shooting light, it's usually right at the end, and they usually stick inside of that timber, especially if you have right. some sort of forage base, like acorns, for example, and they'll just eat up those acorns on the on the ground floor until the canopy of darkness comes in and gives them some security to go out in the field. Yeah. But in this particular instance, I had to hunt that field edge, in order to catch him with a west wind because of the shape of this property. The whole property is long, it's it's really long and narrow. I okay. bet you if you measured the distance across, it's no more than, you know, maybe 300 at the most, maybe 250 to 300 yards wide, uh, but it stretches, I don't know, 600 yards. Right, gotcha. so it's really long and narrow. Okay. And it goes east and west or west and east. So, you know, it's a straight shot the only way for me to kill this deer was to sit on the far east side of the property right right on and, the fence line <laughs> yep and i sat, i sat right well no i had a little bit of field i had a probably uh i don't know 70 yard buffer uh where that okay. field you know he was working towards to the to the fence line but um i had to catch him coming you know and and and, and to be honest with you on that particular hunt it was a little different that's how i was set up to kill him but truth be told, and if you watch that back, what happened was uh, that deer um, came out. He, he actually came out in the field with the wind at his back like he should have. But he came from a totally different end because he was across the road. Somebody's dog uh, started barking. And I told my cameraman, Steve, I said, I bet you there's deer over there. And this whole herd of deer came. I think there's 12 bucks in that group and a handful oh, of man. uh does and they came hopping over the fence like sheep they crossed the road and hopped the fence like sheep but it was still with the wind at their back and that you know it was on the fourth day but i mean that's that's what he did So he didn't come out exactly where i was set up but i was set up you know eight yards away from where he had entered every four days prior for a month and a half
0: i like close yeah. shots too
1: <laughs> but dude i gotta tell you getting back to those cameras man I, yeah that's, that's a tender subject for me. I I like getting pictures of deer like anybody else, but once I know who's there and I got the details I need, I pull that camera. And in fact, I don't have any static cameras in the woods right now. I have uh, six cell cameras with solar panels that hopefully will live through, you know, the rest of the season that I never have to go out and touch. And those are in clutch spots. You know, a couple are set up and not getting any photos because they're set up in a spot where I know is going to be a scrape opening up you know come mid to late october sure and so those are that way i don't have to go in there but i definitely uh am not one to go check my camera once a week or whatever those static cameras i'll pull them after three weeks or a month and a half and, and i'll usually just yeah. take the whole camera with me and go put it somewhere else
0: well yeah i guess my thought there is like so i tried this a couple of years ago was i dropped i dropped the camera um picked up one of the best bucks i ever have in my entire life and never um, uh, never saw him again. You know, that's the end of the story there. But um dropped a camera, picked up a phenomenal buck. He was probably in like the 160s, 170s, just outrageously wide and short, probably like three, four inches beyond the ears on each side. And uh and I and I went and checked that camera. That was like I, I got that picture in early August. Um, and I checked the camera also in early August, luckily, and um it was funny cause the, like the week before it was all this farmer mowing paths through this tall grass is all he was doing for to walk his dog and stuff. And these bucks, I got multiple really nice bucks using these paths. So anyway, um, I did that. And then I started, now. I was like, okay, there's a giant buck out here. Where's he going where I could tell where he was coming from. I had a good idea. Uh, there's really one, one area he could have came from, um, and he was going a specific direction and to a specific area. So I grabbed three more cameras and, and littered that area. It was, it it was very limited for tree lines and it was just a lot of CRP. So I littered the area with these cameras. Um, and I went and checked them every two weeks and I never got another picture of them. And that was up until like late September. Um, and the CRP is also a pheasant hunting uh, area. So when pheasant hunting opens in Wisconsin, what is it? Whatever that is uh, early October, I pull all my cameras on this piece just because, you know, you got all these pheasant hunters, yeah,
1: you know, I'm getting stolen, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: I overshot up or whatever. Yeah. So I pull them all. Um, and I never got, I never got another picture of him, but my, my, I always ask myself, you know, in that scenario, was it, was it me? Was I in there too much? And did I push him around? Probably without, without
1: Probably, yeah it's not just you pushing them man it's once you're in and out you you might have gotten in and out without you know bumping a thing but once the sun goes down and they walk through there and they smell that you're there right they'll maybe deal with you once maybe twice at most but that second or third time yeah you're done man they're they're not they're not that old for uh you know any ordinary reason they're smarter than hell
0: yeah so then how do i that's why you pull them
1: that's why you pull them and you let everything go quiet for those last, you know, three, four weeks before the season opens. Because you, you should know, if you've seen him once, you already know he exists. So now you don't really need it. See, that's the thing. You don't really need a camera in there because you already saw them. Just take a note, write write it down what day and what time it was. Look at the weather and then try to figure out a way to get in there and observe. It's a It's a really awesome time of year. Yeah, there's mosquitoes. But if you play the wind, you know, in your favor and you bring out a thermocell or two, I take two thermocells with me. <laughs> but once I know that the deer are there, um, I, I'm, those cameras aren't serving any purpose anymore. They're just going to hurt me in the end, unless they're a cell camera and they just live there. And I'll just do yes. all my scouting, you know, from observation points, whether it's a field edge or up in a tree or whatever you got to do. Um, yeah, that's yeah. pretty vital so that i would avoid that personally but that's just that's that's my style
0: no i mean i I kill a lot of
1: i kill a lot of my deer early season um because of the amount of work that i put in you know in the off season
0: well yeah and then you're not scrambling during season to figure it out and and that that line of thought makes a lot of sense and i can think of right now a couple areas i mean it is a it is a swamp that i was kind of crp swampy area that's you know it's tough to get into but i can think of a big oak off the road you know maybe 60 70 yards off the road that i could have got into and just hung out and watched most of it from there
1: yeah there was no
0: yeah there was no actual terrain vantage point just i could have gotten that big oak
1: yeah see that's the thing it's it's a it's a mental game you know it's nice to have photos because you can look at it and kind of you know look forward to the season coming around and and wishful thinking while you're out hunting like uh, i know he's there here's pictures and you look at it on your phone while you're sitting in a stand a past time or you can show your friends whatever the reason but at the end of the day if you want to be a true killer you know the, the cameras you know they they give you some sweet photos and some intel but it's all up to you and how you hunt the strategy is your approach and it doesn't doesn't depend so heavily on on a camera i think a lot of people forget about that you know like let me let me back up a step here and 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 tell you one other tactic that i you know um, use when i'm approaching early season hunts and that is you know one thing i used to do is i used to go prep my stands in advance if i wasn't prepping a stand you know when I, i i've been a mobile hunter for maybe you know i don't know 10 or 12 years probably probably more on the 12 year side but um it's been over a decade that i've I've kind of stopped hanging sets and then going back to them and, you know, really hunting the the same tree no more than a couple of times. And then, and then kind of keeping the deer guessing and on their toes by moving around. Um, but, but the biggest thing to remember here and take it for, for what it's worth, but I'll tell you the truth. And it is, it, I, I had a lot of early season kills of big bucks. And I, and I, and I honestly can attest to this. And that is, when you are a mobile hunter and you prep your tree and you're doing limb cutting, doing that limb cutting the day before, or the day of sitting in a particular tree can play to your favor. Like nobody's business because those deer can smell the fresh cut limbs and, and all the dying, you know, like molting leaves. And they come and they gobble them up like crazy. Yeah. I was, really? just, I just, init, I've got a, um, uh, part of chase nation outside of our, our main Facebook page. We have something called chase nation open forum and it's on Facebook and not a single topic is discussed there outside of either film discussion or camera equipment discussion or tactic talk. And I mean, we've got people like Dan Infall that come on there. Um, uh, just about anybody that has a name that you can that will ring a bell has been on there um, giving advice and weighing in their opinions and it doesn't matter if you got a name or not uh, those tactic talks have been great and just uh, just yesterday or or was it this i think it was just yesterday I initiated a new conversation and the topic is what leaves have you picked up on deer eating in uh the early season in in summer and and if you start thinking about that you read back some of those those posts that people have made. It's really solid intel because when you start paying attention to things like when a maple tree uh, turns yellow and starts dropping its leaves, that is a magnet for deer. So if you can find a maple tree uh, that starts shedding its leaves, uh, you know, mid to, around mid mid October, you should be sitting near there and kind of letting it serve as a almost like it's almost like bait you know, but it's, (laughs) but it's legal and you're not doing it. It's like a little food plot. (laughs) I'm telling you
0: when you start paying attention to that all all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, I tell you what, if you're going to go out and cut your limbs uh, and you know, where you're going to, or pre-hang your sets, at least do yourself a favor. Since we were talking about cameras and at least put a camera there, forget about what people say about, you know, and not putting a camera by where you're going to hunt. If if you're out there pre-hanging your sets, couple months before the season opens let a camera sit there for a month then pull it and give it another month to settle down before the season opens you'll be fine but just watch how many deer come in and eat all your clippings from where you were cutting shooting lanes and trimming up the the tree that you're going to sit in to hunt it's remarkable so i like to do it the day i hunt or the day before Uh, i have a i
0: have a spot where i'm going to hang a stand this year on on our piece of private and uh and it is, it's almost all maple trees. So I was, and it is fairly, it's a little bit thicker. So I was going to cut some lanes. So I will, I will hang and hunt that this year and I will trim the day of, I'll get in there, you know, at like two o'clock or something and trim it out a little bit and see what happens.
1: It's going to be lights out. I guarantee it. It's going to be a good <laughs> sit for you if it's if it's in a good area. Yeah. 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 So I'm sitting up, I'm sitting up here at my cabin up in three lakes right now we' just got the internet to our cabin and doing some work nice. up here so we're, we're we're working remotely and I'm sitting out on my deck kind of looking at the leaves you know up here and they tend to change about two to three weeks earlier than you know down by us down where I'm at in southeast Wisconsin yeah. um, and I'm noticing a couple of these maple trees here a couple of them getting a tinge from some of these cooler nights up here and we're sitting here talking about it and it's just got my mind racing
0: oh yeah I know that first 50 degree morning was the other day. I was like, Ooh, feels like hunting mm-hmm. weather. <laughs> feels like hunting weather. So, um, one of my, one of my other questions was jumping way back to, um, to the, uh, observation kind of sits, um, just glass and glass in the fields. Do you notice that the same box that you see in like August are the same box you're seeing in September? Are they kind of hanging out in the same area? Um that's a
1: really really good question because it is right around mid August to that third week of August when I start to see those voucher groups uh split up. You know, early August, late July, even in velvet they're already putting their their horns together and kind of their antlers together and kind of pushing each other around, but they're but they're gentle about it. Um and when that velvet starts to shed, you know, uh, mid to late August uh, that's when, like, I've already got two, two different bucks that are poking through um their velvet, which, you know, for some people might seem really early, but it's also no different than bucks that shed early and drop late. Um, yeah. but once, once they start dropping that velvet or shedding that velvet, they start to kind of exploit some sort of dominance and only a few stick around. And the rest seem to, you know, travel. Okay. Um this one particular farm is 20 acre piece and there's always a plethora of deer out there bucks you know i'll sit that field edge and i'll watch maybe 10 to 15 different um you know bucks at once and uh i would say half of them disappear and i do enough driving around and hunting up other areas in that immediate um vicinity um without giving away too much that uh you know, I'll see some of the same deer, you know, half mile away or a mile away. And it's like, they relocated. I think that's pretty, hmm. pretty typical, you know, it's pretty typical. And then, and then, you know, the next year comes around and you're like, yeah, I don't know whatever happened to that, you know, one big one and he's gone and you don't see him again. And all of a sudden summer rolls around and there he is again, you know, like you were gone since last summer. Where'd you go? What right. made you come back and where, where are you going to leave again? You know, that, um, That's a really good question. I definitely have witnessed those, those bachelor groups splitting up and, and you'll, you'll actually see quite a few more velvet deer dead on the highways, uh, between now and September as some of the, the deer start splitting up and exploring new territory. It's mostly those younger deer. Like if you, if you really pay attention to the the bucks, uh, along the side of the highway, and if you just start thinking back. I mean, between now and September, was mid, it's mid-August mid right now, and by September, you know, if you've seen five or ten dead bucks, you know, pay attention, they're probably all year-and-a-halfers. It's like those younger ones seem to get the boot the first, the, the, the earliest, year-and-a-half year right. or two-and-a-half year olds, and they're out, like, exploring new territory, and then they wind up getting smoked on the highway. Um, that's pretty typical, hmm. you know
0: yeah i would yeah i would imagine it's got like you said it's got something to do with dominance like all right you've been here long enough get out <laughs>
1: but it's but it's not always the case like on that 20 acre piece for example um maybe two of the say three or four bigger ones that i see in the groups stick around and a lot of like the two and a half and three-year-olds are gone but like a handful of the year and a halfers will stick around too so it'll be like i've got you know two or three of the year and a half old that stick around and then you know one or two of the you know four and a half or better that stick around but the other four and a half or better disappear and a lot of my two and a half even three and a half disappear until the rut and then all of a sudden they all come back around it's not <laughs> that they go very far away huh. they're just going to their own little unique locations i guess yeah. giving each other some space and i think all that is is them Getting ready for the breeding season, you know it's yeah. it's competitive space. It's not to say, oh hey guys, we've been friends all summer long. We were the boys of summer, but hey, you know uh, times run up. I'm sick of you. I'm moving out, <laughs> or you need to move. It is not like that. I think I think we need to think about it more in terms of, you know what what they're what what they're gearing up and getting ready to do, it, and that's rut come you know late October, early November, and they they need some time to communicate with the does in the area. Let them know that that's their area. Uh, so when the rut comes around, you know, they kind of have their residence for breeding. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it all boils down to. Can't have too many, too many bucks in one spot. Uh, you know, it, come fall, because things can get awfully weird in a hurry. And right. well, I'll add one last bit to that since I just brought up the rut. For the love of God, please, anybody listening. If you are the one who's posting questions on forums and on Facebook, will the rut be early this year? No, <laughs> no, it will not.
0: <laughs> rut
1: is purely photo periodism. It's about how much light is left in the day, and that's the natural. It's it's like a natural alarm clock or a natural calendar for deer. Yeah, and 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 that's what it really comes down to. So no, it's going to be the same every year in those same locations.
0: I'm headed. I'm- <laughs> you know. I'm headed to the Chase Nation forum right now to post that question. <laughs> yeah, do it, man. Do it. Those guys will
1: those guys will beat you up. And they're, no, they're they're actually really cool. Hey guys, I saw One thing.
0: I saw a big buck chasing a doe in a field. It's early August, but is the rut early? <laughs> is the rut early right now, or what do you guys think? It's
1: like, oh my gosh, this conversation never gets old. You just can't you can't get away from it.
0: Now you uh, no, you can't. No, you can't. The rut's on in late September. You got it, buddy. Go get them.
1: <laughs> you Go got it, him. man. Go, Go get them. them yeah.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: Go out there with all your estrus and whatnot, and spray down all the scent killer and stuff. Hopefully, you have a great hunt. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Enjoy the 90s. Yeah. I don't 90 even,
1: Degree days. You know, if you if you think I talk a lot, man, get me on that scent topic, and and I'll I'll talk your you head off on that one. <laughs> I've been I've been on both sides of the fence there, you know and uh, for the longest time, I, I I bought what I heard, you know, and then and then uh, Dan Infolt, I'll give him credit, I always do when it comes to that topic, and I won't get into it, but I'll just say that he and I went back and forth a number of times, and got it got real technical, and uh, and I then was converted to realizing that the 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 cheapest wind or, or scent proofing that I can get away with is the wind. You just can't beat the wind. Uh, and you can't beat a deer's nose but yeah we can go in depth on that
0: topic someday if you want all right yeah maybe that'll be it maybe that'll be the next one put, um, put that in the back pocket yeah <laughs> so if so i we gotta hop off here in like five ten five ten minutes here but um one last one last question before we go and that is if if people are sitting here and they haven't hung their stands this year yet like Mm -hmm. they got you know four four stands sitting in their garage like i want to get these out and hang them at this point being in august 16th and and season opening up september 18th should they just would you would you say hey man just wait until the week that week of or the day before september 17th or the 16th and just get out there and pop them up quick
1: i mean listen so everybody's got an excuse in their back pocket to why they can't do something and i get it because life gets in the way and that that work-life balance you know mixed with hunting is is a challenge i face it too but it's about dedication if you want to kill big bucks and have consistency and have some of the best hunts that you'll ever have you've got to make exceptions when the time counts so what i would say is in a perfect world if you can get away with it set that stand the day before and then there's somebody that's listening right now and they're nodding their head because they know what i'm going to say and that is somebody's listening right now and they're like yeah but what if i can't do it the day before then what am i sol and in that case then you got to make other arrangements go the day before then but you got to remember what i told you about those leaves those those fresh clippings on the ground that looks like a natural bait pile and it's perfectly legal and those deer will come in there and, and and be foraging there. Absolutely. So for me, it's prepped the day before or the day of. I'm a mobile hunter. And you also can't expect that everybody listening is a mobile hunter because everybody's got different conditions, different ages, and right. strengths and weaknesses. So if you are the type to pre-hang a set, I sure hope you know exactly where a good spot to put that set is because for me, I spent an awful lot of my early, you know, part of the earlier part of my career sitting in trees waiting for deer to come to me and then uh that got old and i started to figure <laughs> out a different approach and that was going to where the deer are so you know like you go visit somebody's say say you get invited to go hunt at somebody's 40 and they've been hunting there for years and you get there and you haven't been there yet so you're they're trying to give you an idea where to hunt and they're like yeah my uncle you know charlie he's got a tree stand over in the northeast corner of the property you just take that fire lane down you know 400 yards and then there'll be a little uh you know tamarack tree that's off to the right when you see that tam turn left go about 30 yards and you'll see it and and you go and you hunt that spot you're not even thinking about the wind because nobody talked about that that's just a stand that's been there forever yeah and it's one that uncle charlie used to kill deer out of mind you you know he's he's real old and over like the last 30 years he's killed a dozen bucks bucks out of it so it's assumed that it's a good stand nobody ever talks about maybe at that family if it's a gun or a bow kill so you don't know how close they're going to be my point is and all this rambling is that pre-hanging stands doesn't always accommodate all of the conditions wind direction is the number one thing and deer being present is the number two thing because um you know, if I, and they're kind of 50, 50, maybe, maybe you could reverse one and two. I don't know. Who cares? Point is, if you're going to pre-hang a set, there should be an awful good reason. I just, I just can't do it. You know? Right. So. No, and uh, I'm, in that, that, I'm in that boat with me. you,
0: Sam. I have, I have, I bought uh 11, 11, or 12 stands for our property. And I think I have, mm-hmm. up. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So it's like that, right? So you got to stand sitting in, there, like, in the shed. Yeah. If you're going to,
1: if you're going to, if you're going to limit yourself to the borders around the piece of private that you've got to hunt and you know, you're like, well, oh, I'll just go hang a bunch of stands. And then based on the wind, I know these three stands over on this side are good for this wind. So I have places to hunt. That's, that's all good but, and, and, and I hope you and anybody else listening doesn't take this the wrong way, but I'm going to be honest and say, there are two different types of hunters, just like there's two different types of fishermen. There are diehards. And then there's like, you know, the more relaxed version for lack of better words, you know, or to not say anything offensive. I don't want to say weekend warrior, cause that's not a good way to put it, but when you are diehard and you're willing to sacrifice things and you're willing to put your body to the test and you know, scheduled to the test and, you know, you really invest yourself. You are a different type of deer hunter than somebody who, you know, puts out a lot of stands and then hunts because, you know, conditions are right for that side of the property. I look at it like you're limiting yourself, even if, even, (laughs) and, and I, and and it, and it's tree stands aside, like, hell, I shot half of my deer. Well, not half, maybe a third of the deer I've killed have been from the ground. Yeah, <laughs> And, and honestly, in some of those on public land and you can't say, well, you know, I, it's 40 acres and I got to have somewhere to hunt. It's like, man, when you're, when you, that's why I spend so much time getting a lot of properties to hunt and bounce around to, because when you put yourself in the confines of a border around private land, you are your worst competition. Every time you go in. And every time you go out, you're leaving sign, whether you, you see it or not. And, uh, and that's just a matter of fact. So you've got to really consider that, you know, when you decide what kind of hunter you want to be, and there's nothing wrong with what side of the fence you're on. But if you really, really, truly want to, you know, be consistent and kill big bucks, you, you, you you're, you kind of shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool. If you get lucky now and again, and shoot one out of you know uncle Charlie's stand or whatever, but I'm telling you as mobile as you can be and as free as you can be in the mind, you just move to where the deer are, the better your success is going to be just period.
0: Awesome. Well, perfect. That's the end of our, that's the end of our time. Anyway, that's a great note to end on. Um, For anyone listening, this is Sam Ubel with chase nation. I know we never got to, we never did introduction. We just hopped right in. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Sam will definitely be on again. Maybe, Sam, maybe we can link up in, in person. Um, I'm actually just west of you when you're down here in the southeast. So, um, southeast Wisconsin. So, yeah, if people want to find you, Sam, where can, where's the best place besides that Facebook um, Facebook forum?
1: You bet. Uh, ChaseNation.TV is our website and then we've got chase nation tv youtube channel you can look up chase nation on carbon tv uh, you can look up chase nation on amazon prime prime video um, and if you've got roku you can go on to K O T V, tv which is keys outdoors television and um and we stream there too so all of our films are streamed for free online uh, and they're not commercialized so uh i hope I hope some people check us out and give it a, give it a watch. I think you'll like it.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks for hopping on, Sam. Really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please hit that subscribe button and we'll catch you next time. Catch you guys later.